You're listening to the sermon audio from The Shore Church located in North Vancouver. For more information about The Shore, upcoming events, or to donate, you can head to www.theshorechurch.ca. Welcome again to The Shore Church. So good to have everybody here. We are in a pretty sweet season. Uh, I'm excited for this. Uh, It's been exciting. It's been kind of wearing on me for the last three, four months as I've been planning for the fall. This is always a big deal to plan for the fall and the ministry here as teachers in school kind of set up their classrooms and and get the kids ready to come back to school. Uh, It's the same kind of thing in in church ministry as we want to set up uh, kind of the trajectory for this ministry year, and that's kind of what we're doing here. So that's what uh, we're. Ex- I am excited about, and I hope uh, it rubs off on you as well. There's a lot of things that we've got planned, uh, and uh, man, I'm I'm excited for even just coffee dates with some of you. I've got on the schedule already, and uh, if you're interested in grabbing a coffee, I would love to hear your story. I'd love to hear who you are. And, uh, and what excites you, and um, yeah, I would love to get you on the list as well. So if you come grab me afterwards, and we'll get you on, on my calendar. But again, this is our launch Sunday for this ministry year. We have a lot of exciting things uh, to go and planned out, but more so we are looking forward for what God is and has in store for us. And so with that, I want to invite us to stand once more. Uh, and we're going to read God's Word, Revelation chapter 4 today. So if you would stand with me. And we're in the book of Revelation, which uh, is an amazing book. And we'll get into chapter 4 this morning. It's going to be on the screen for us to follow along. It says this, <clears throat> After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And once I was in the Spirit, and behold, the throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion. The second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him, who lives forever and ever. They cast their thrones, their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. This is the word of God. All right, please grab a seat, and we'll pray one more time here, and then we'll jump in this uh, incredible text. Uh, Jesus, we come before you. We come before your word, and uh, Lord, we, we desire to learn about it. 
We wake up early to get prepared uh, for Sundays, uh, to gather as your church. And we want to hear from you. And Lord, the only way to hear from you is by opening your word. And so we want to do that faithfully today. And as we unpack Revelation chapter 4, a uh, very interesting text with all kinds of things in it. Uh, Lord, my prayer this week, as you know, has been that uh, this church, uh, myself included, would, would fall deeply in love with you, that we would have a greater sense of awe of who you are. And Jesus, I, I pray that you will open our hearts and our minds to this, that we will have such awe that we cannot help but serve and glorify your name. And I pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, again, welcome. I'm incredibly excited to this ministry year, like I've already said multiple times. Uh, for one of those things is this week we've got commuters starting, so many of you will be gathering into four different church, four different houses uh, to minister to one another, to care for one another, to love on one another, to hear each other's stories, and, and to walk with one another. And some of these leaders up here, we're those community group leaders that are opening their home weekly to invite you in to, for discipleship and for care and for love and just have a really fun time doing that. And so if you're not yet involved in a community group, please sign up. You can sign up on the website. It's really clear. A couple clicks and you'll be there. And so it would be great to have you join us. Other things that I'm excited about that are coming are our Bible studies, men and women Bible studies. The men I'm super excited about because we're going to be in a public area. We're going to meet down at J.J. Bean at Triple Three Brooks Bank. It's down by the New Winners. I'm not sure if you've seen this already yet, but it's going to be an exciting time of sitting in the coffee shop and opening the Bible together and learning together. And so that's going to be bright and early on from 6 to 7 a.m. Uh, every Monday starting on the 25th. And so we're excited about this for the men to be in the public square and to share and to love on one another. And everyone, you all men are invited to this, to come and join us and to, to make be a light into the community around us. The ladies are going to meet in my home a little bit later that, that morning, and they're going to have a great time of fellowship with one another as well. And that starts one week earlier on the 18th. So please sign up. You can see that on the website. Other things that we're excited about that are continuing on are like prayer every Monday morning, or sorry, every Monday evening. So again, Monday's going to be jam-packed. It's going to be fun from 6 a.m. all the way till uh, 9 uh, p.m., uh, filled with uh, God's goodness and His glory. And so uh, please find these things and, and get connected and join in. It's such, such a fun time of fellowship. Other things that we're looking towards are local missions, monthly evangelism nights that we're going to be starting up, day camps for our kids in the next following summer. And so there's so many things. I get, there's a lot of lists that we're planning on, uh, but we don't, want to, we, we don't want to burden you, but we want to get excited about the, the good news and the call that we each have had individually as followers of Jesus to, to go and make his name known. And so this is what we're doing. And this is our call in this text that I just read in Revelation chapter 4. This is the call to make Jesus known. This is the call to fall deeply in love with this one seated on the throne. This is everything about the awe of him. And so out of this awe, we want to make him known. And I love this book. I love this book of Revelation because of many texts in it. And I want to point out and highlight a couple. Uh, look at chapter 1, verse 19 on the screen. It says... A little bit of a past, present, and future. 
And so many shepherds and many pastors and many, many theologians would say this verse, this little verse in this book of Revelation is the outline of the whole letter. And take a look at it. It says, right therefore, this is Jesus speaking to John in a vision, right therefore, the things that you have seen, which is the past, those that are, which is the present, and then those that are to take place after this, the future. And so a little bit of an outline here, just in this one little verse. It also has verses like chapter 1, verse 3, where it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So I just got blessed by reading this thing aloud. Thank you, Jared, for blessing yourself. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, but that's it, not it. And blessed are those who hear it. So you too have been blessed by just hearing the word read and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. See, it gives a snapshot of what heaven will be like when Jesus returns. It is a message of warning and challenge. It is a message of hope and wonder. But what we need to know it is a type of literature that takes a lot of study, a lot of study of the whole book from cover to cover, because it's, it's literature that's called apocalyptic, and so there's a ton of symbolism. And so we need to know actually the whole story of God to have a greater understanding. Now, if you're a new believer, don't worry. You can still understand this. But I'm just saying the greater understanding will come the more you dive into the, the whole story of God and things will begin to enlighten for you through His Holy Spirit. But it also scares me a bit teaching out of it. And it scares me a bit because James chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And I believe in a perfect judge, God in heaven. And so when I teach out of this book, it, it, it's a little bit freaky. And it ought to be. It. And so that's why I just want to uh, read what it says and apply what it says the best I possibly can. So I'm prefacing my sermon this way because we are parachuting into another book. We're parachuting into Revelation, which is a hard one to parachute into. Because like I said, it's really important to know the whole story. But we've been doing this all summer in the Topical Summer Series. And so um, this is, is one of those times that we're going to be jumping into. But like I said already, this is apocalyptic literature that we're dropping into. So very hard to do so. But it doesn't mean, like I said, you, you won't understand it. But what we're going to do is we're going to outline a couple things in this text this morning. And by God's grace, our prayers will be answered that we would fall deeper in love with Him and His all and who He is. So the outline is on the screen. This is what we're going to go through today. Seven, the seven of chapter four. The seven being a perfect number, and that's what John really sees when he enters into the throne room. Seven things. A door, a throne, one seated, 24 elders, seven torches, sea of glass, and four living creatures. Now we're going to go through these fairly quickly, and then at the end what we're going to do is we're going to ask the question, what does knowing these seven do to us? How should these change us? So look at number one. Verse one, a door. Again, I'll read it. It says, after this, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven, and this first, and the first, vo and the first voice which I he had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, "Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this." There's that future reference of the outline. 
So this is the, now the second time John hears the trumpet-like sound voice. It's the second time. The first time he hears it, we find out actually in the voice of Jesus speaking the message to, to pass on to the churches. And you see this in Revelation. It's not on the screen, but in Revelation chapter 1, uh, verses 10 and 11, it says this, I was in the Spirit of the, on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. So this is what's taking place here. And later on, we see as you continue to read this voice, he turns around and he sees this amazing image, and this is Jesus. Jesus is the one speaking to John, like a loud trumpet sound. And the seven churches he is given a message to that he wants John to proclaim, and that's what we have in chapters 2 and 3, the messages to the seven churches. And then Jesus beautifully ends chapter 3 with an amazing text of Scripture, verses 20 and 21. That is on the screen for us. It reads this, Behold, I stand at the door. This is Jesus speaking to John. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I, as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne. See, Jesus ends his message to the churches with the invitation to enter through a door, essentially like a veil that, that separates creation and the creator between flesh and spirit. See, it's an invite. Jesus is standing on the other side of the veil and is calling. He is inviting those who hear in such a beautiful invitation. See, here again in chapter 4, verse 1, our text, John's vision continues, and again, the invitation to come through a door. We can learn a lot from this, but what we need to be careful of is to speculate what the Bible is saying, but actually pull out what it is saying. And so here are the things that it is saying that we can learn and glean from as we just think through this with wise mind that there is one clearly greater, this is what we can learn out of this, that there is one clearly greater than you and I. And that he resides in a realm we can only enter into if invited. He, Jesus, can see both that realm and this realm at the same time. We also learn and conclude that this realm is lasting and eternal over ours that has a starting point and an end point where you can see in Matthew and also in Hebrews chapter 1 and many other portions of Scripture an ending point. This is our world. But this realm is eternal, and the one on the other side of the door knows the future as if it were the present. And I'm saying this because we already got a glimpse of this in chapter 1 if you read the whole book in its entirety. In chapter 1 and verse 8, and also again in verse 17, Jesus proclaims that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. There's no start to him. He's eternal. So this greater one is calling us. This greater one is inviting you in. He sees all. He sees the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of spirit. He also sees the kingdom of flesh, the creation which was started and will have an end point. Come up here, he says. And I will show you what must take place. This is John hearing this. I don't know if you can put your kind of feet into his shoes or sandals at the moment, but that would have been a pretty amazing call. 
Let's look at number two, the throne. See, why point the throne? It's a really short verse that we see, but why point out the throne? Well, the throne is mentioned actually 14 times in 11 verses. So we have to take notice of it. It says, verse 2, just the start of it, says, At once I was in spirit, and behold, the throne stood in heaven. So t- like, think about this as a story, right? As, we, as you're hearing this, John is unpacking this vision that he's seen. He hears this trumpet-like sound, this voice, and he hears it clearly, come up here. He's invited into the heavens, and he enters in by way of spirit, the Spirit, and he, and he instantly sees this grandiose throne. He's pointing something out for us that's specific. See, the throne is a big key here. Everything kind of revolves around this and the one seated on it. See, the throne represents power and glory and honor. This is what the throne represents. The holy, holy, holy. This is a beautiful picture, a beautiful image of power. See, there are not many things anymore in our lives, though. As I was thinking about this, how, like, how can I even put my feet in his sandals? Because in our world, we just don't have things that bring us that much awe. But this, like, you know, you've gone over to someone's house, that just a beautiful home, and you're like, wow. You open the door, and you're kind of awestruck a little bit. It's just a small flake of what this must have been like. And then he sees... The one seated in verse 2 and 3, number 3 for us on our outline. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. See, this is the pinnacle of the vision. This is the, this, this, this is the key. Everything after this is pointing to this. Like everything is a revolved around the throne. And the one seated on it. And for good reason. For good reason. See, John begins to explain this vision with words that we can understand, but I'm sure fall, fail, fail hugely in comparison. And notice, we're never, if you go through the whole story again, back in Exodus 20, I just read this in my devotion, so this is why it's popping up into my mind. But we see, don't carve a graven image of me. Don't carve a graven image and worship it. We have no idea what what God the Father looks like. So John sees Jasper and Carnelian and Emerald and a rainbow so that we won't, in our fallen state, in our sinful state, carve this image of this is our God. And so it's a warning for us in some ways. But this is a beautiful picture. Something that took his breath away. Like in other parts of Scripture, when, when the Lord reveals himself, like in the book of Ezekiel, the Ezekiel just falls on its face, falls down. And the Spirit of God, if you read that chapter, right at the beginning of chapter 2 of Ezekiel, the Spirit raises him up. I don't know if he died at that moment, but like when you see God face to face, you know who to worship, and it's not you. Has anybody here been to the Grand Canyon? Raise a hand. Nice. couple Grand Canyoners. All right? Not like the Chevy Chase vacation where you drive up and then just leave right away. But, oh, it was like that. Oh, unfortunate for you. Jim, you need to go back to Grand Canyon, apparently. Anyway, we went to the Grand Canyon a couple years ago. 
And we went to the best side. Apparently, you can go to different sides of it and, and you see it, but we went to the best side. So you drive through this long road and you can't see anything. It's just kind of trees, a straight road, and you get to this parking lot. And in the parking lot, you park your car and you still can't see anything. You're like, what is this? Like, sure, there'd be like openness or whatever. And then there's these trails that kind of crest over, just small little trails through the trees. And, and you walk through the trees and we've got pictures of this. We've got a video of this because I'm like, I'm expecting something great. And when we walked over the crest of the hill, and then it was like a short distance to the, 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 the first cliff. And we were silent. We, we actually couldn't speak. Like I looked at Jody, and, and she's got tears coming down her, eye, or her face. I'm welling up with tears, and I'm just like in awe. But I need to tell you, we're not awe of the canyon. Our fir- the first words of our, out of our mouth were, isn't God so good? Like he spoke this into existence. And we already saw this in the text. Like right at the end of chapter 14, worthy are you, o our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they, were, they existed. And so this is coming to mind when we see this. And, but it takes your breath away. There's not many things on this planet that will take your breath away and you just stand in awe. Now put yourself into John's shoes, sandals, sees a throne, hears a voice, walks up and sees this one sitting on and it's just majestic. Like I did some research on what this jasper might be and it's like actually a perfectly clear stone. Reflects all light at the same time and it's clear at the same time. Like beautiful piece of imagery. So there's nothing like it. It represents purity and perfection and power. The holy, holy, holy of, of our Savior. And then carnelian. This is a deep ruby red stone representing his justice and his redemption for us through his blood sacrifice on the cross. His pardoning and punishing. His saving and also his destroying is power. Then the rainbow with the appearance of an emerald. See, the rainbow, it ought to have us flash back into the, into the Old Testament. With the, this is the covenant promise to Noah and all people after him. And then the emerald, bright green, symbolizing maybe nature and beauty and comfort and peace. See, this is the one seated this is our God that all in the throne room are now pointing to. He is the central point of the story, and he should be. See, when John opens his eyes and sees this vision, he, along with all involved, know who to worship. Let's look at number four. Let's look at the beginnings of those individuals that are in that throne room worshiping this amazing Lord and Savior. The 24 elders, number four on our outline, says this, around the throne were 24 thrones and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Again, there's a lot here, so I'm going to go really quickly. Take a look on the screen, Matthew 19, 28. It says, Jesus said to them, to his disciples, to his apostles, truly I say to you, in the new world, the new world, 
when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. See, these are the, the disciples and those that have believed upon Jesus for salvation. And then look at Revelation. If you flip all the way to the back of the book in chapter 21, 12 and 14, it says this. This is the, this is the imagery of the kingdom coming to earth. The new heavens coming down and taking over this place where we will have peace and rest with our King and Savior. It says this, it had a great high wall with 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And the wall, skipping down to 14, and the wall of the city and 12, had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Here we have the 12 tribes of Israel from the Old Testament and the 12 apostles of Jesus. And the last time I checked, and I, I haven't been to school in a long time, but 12 plus 12, every time I do that, it equals 24. Every single time. And so it's another imagery here. Now the elders are to be, and this is, well, I guess this might suggest anyways, that 24 elders are those representing the 12 tribes of Israel and all those that followed God and the other 12 being those represented by the 12 apostles of Jesus. Now, elders are to be representatives of the church. This is what the elder is. I would represent the shore church. When we get into the gates of glory, I would represent you, the members of this ministry. And that's a big task, one I don't take lightly. See, so though these 24 that John is seeing in his vision are then representative of all believers in Christ. And I'd add they are all in white, meaning they are cleansed. They are the bride of Christ celebrating the, your, their union with Jesus. This is for all those who have believed upon Jesus for salvation. Are you getting this, church? His family, that we will be in the throne room of God Almighty. Hearing the trumpet sound like voice, come, come. And seeing the throne room, stepping into the throne room, see the one seated, 24 elders surrounding the throne, just worshiping our King. And then another image is the seven torches, number five on our outline. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Now again, I need to highlight this. This is apocalyptic literature. It's symbolism. So much symbolism. Some have actually swayed away from what the clear teaching, and this is where you need to know the whole story of God, the clear teaching of Scripture, and said, you know what? God's not triune. He's actually nine. And some have gone that way. Right? God the Father, God the Son, and then seven spirits based out of this actually verse. So what is this saying? Well, the seven spirits of God, some have shown, and I would believe, are the seven gifts, graces, and operations of the Holy Spirit. Seven gifts, graces, graces, and the operations of the Holy Spirit. This is, again, why knowing the whole story of God is so good uh, when you come to books like these. So take a look at Isaiah. This is one example given to us in, the, in other portions of Scripture, given us the seven graces and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 5. It says this, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. So we know this to be Jesus. 
And a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest on him. And and this is the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and the spirit of might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. This is the graces, the gifts of the spirit to live through Christ. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness, the belt of his loins. So if you continue to read in chapter one of Revelation, you'll hear a lot of that same symbolism. You'll see a lot of this. And this is Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit. And this, again, here and now in chapter 4, we're seeing the seven spirits, the, the gifts of the Spirit throughout Christ at the throne room. And he's right there with the throne. Equal in all ways. See, here what I would hold to is John is seeing, like I already said, a vision that is before the throne of God, which is the Holy Spirit. His perfection, his holiness, his comforting presence. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The sixth sixth one, sea of glass. Before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. See, in the temple, like... We need to know, again, the whole story. Again, Exodus, you can find a lot of this in the Exodus. Where, when God comes to, to Moses and, and unpacks how to lay out the temple. This is, again, understanding those really boring chapters seemingly in Exodus to read through all these things that are going to be in the temple. A lot of times in our Bible reading, we just skip over those. But those are actually incredibly important to understand and know. And one of these things is this sea of glass. Essentially, in the temple is a foreshadowing of what the heavenlies look like. So when you see the temple of God, the throne, the temple of God, that, which is going to be the earth, and then the throne room is the central point of heaven, and we are to worship him daily, you see other things in that temple, and that's what you would see as you've walked into the earthly temple as a foreshadow of what you're going to see in heaven. And so there is this large brass bowl filled with water in this earthly temple. And the priests were to wash when they went to minister before the Lord for a sake of cleansing. That brass bowl of water was called the sea. It was called the sea. So everything in the temple, like I said, is a foreshadow and a picture. So in the gospel church, the sea for purification is the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ who cleanses from all sin. All those to enter into the throne room of God must be washed into the gracious presence of God on earth or is his glorious presence in heaven. The sea of glass is a representation of this. We have been washed by the purification of Jesus' blood, the Lamb of God, that we might have right standing before the throne of God. If you are not washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, you do not have right standing before God. And that, my friends, is a scary position to be. Scary position. There's other portions of Scripture that say all will stand before the throne of God and you will have to take account for the things you have done. Now, those who have believed upon Jesus for their, their salvation, they believe with all their heart, their life, his life, his death, his resurrection. If you believe in those, the first importance 
of the gospel. Then you will be saved if you confess your sins to him, knowing that he is forgiving you. Then you have really nothing to worry about standing before. You've been washed clean. You now stand before in worship, just like the 24 elders, casting their crowns down, just worshiping, thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done. But if you have not yet confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will stand in awe, no doubt, You'll recognize for the first time your sin and continue in it. This is the crazy thing. You'll continue to make excuses. You'll continue to rebel against the one seated on the throne. You'll continue to blame. You'll continue to shift your responsibility and God will judge you for it. We need the sea of glass. We need the purification of the blood of Jesus Christ. Number seven, last one, four living creatures. This is a weird one. It says this, and around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. See, these are ministers of the gospel of grace. They're close in proximity to the throne. So they're elevated in some way or fashion. We don't know much about these creatures. What we do know is what we can take from them. A lion represent courage. Ox, like in, in labor and diligence, prudent and discreet like the godly man, and elegant and aware and seen like the eagle. This is what we can take from this. Again, this is symbolism, hard to understand. But this is these creatures, and these creatures stood close to the throne, like I've said, have powers and are part of the final judgment if you keep reading the text. You can see what they're, they're part of God's perfection and perfect judgment cast through onto those who disbelieve in Jesus. See, there is a mystery here when it comes to these creatures, but what is obvious, what is obvious in the text, so just a simple read through the text without knowing the entire story, the simple read through this text would go, man, they are diligent in their worship, they're diligent in their surrender and they're diligent in their faithfulness of Jesus. Their dedication and service is second to none. So what does knowing these then, seven, do in us? All things pointing to Jesus. All things pointed to the one seated on the cross. What does knowing these seven do to us? Like how should these change us? This is a vision that John has given and it's been passed through generation to generation through the word of God. So what, what application for us? Well, some of us here might be sitting and going, you know what, it doesn't affect me at all. It doesn't change me one bit. You know, it doesn't affect my day to day. So really I don't need to worry about a thing. You hear about an all-powerful, all-knowing creator God and it changes nothing for you. You're intrigued about the creatures, maybe. Intrigued about the different symbolism. But really, it doesn't affect you deeply in your heart. But then there's others of us here. 
man, that, that, that see this stuff and are, are struck deep within our soul. And it changes everything, doesn't it? Like it changes what you do on a Sunday morning. It changes what you do with your money. It changes what you do with your friends. It changes what you do with your neighbors. It changes what you do with your kids. It changes what you do with your husband or your, or your wife. It changes what you do when you date. It changes everything. It changes everything. What, how you dress, how you, how you look, how, what you put most effort into in your day. Like it changes everything. Because this is my God. This is my King. See, I guess the question for us, I guess, individually, is am I willing, and each one, I, would, I want to encourage you to ask this question, am I willing to accept the invitation to come? See, one day the veil between flesh and spirit, between temporal and eternal, will be opened. The greatest story on this planet happened 2,000 years ago. God himself entered into his creation. He walked through the door and entered in fully God and fully man and lived a perfect life that we couldn't live. He died on the cross, a perfect death that we could not die. And he shed his blood that we might be forgiven. He did this for you as an invitation. Come, believe upon me. Surrender to me. And guess what? He rose from the dead and then said, I'm coming back. I will come back soon. Prepare yourself for my return. The preparation for us is actually incredibly simple. It says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart, like the depths of your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. And I can guarantee you, when you do that, everything's going to change for you. There's still going to be issues and sin and frustrations and pain and anger and all that kind of stuff, but there's going to be something in your heart that tweaks and you understand in a different way that, oh my goodness, I'm, I'm, I'm falling short of God's perfection for me. but he loves me, has forgiven me, and I again can come to him and ask for forgiveness. See, the elders and the four living creatures, when they entered into the throne room, they sang many songs in this, song, in this, in this book. And this one we see is, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And when the, the creatures sang that song, the elders fell down and threw their cast their crowns, realizing that it's nothing that I've done. It's all that Jesus has done. And they sang, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. See, I don't know where you're at. I don't know where individually you're at. I would love to know. Because I would love to get to know you and help walk alongside you if you are still struggling with this story. And even if you have this story nailed down, but yet are battling with shame or frustration or anger, and, and, and I want to help with that. Because I've been there too. And we need each other. 
But I want to encourage you today to confess Jesus as your Lord, laying down your life for his namesake. May we, in a new vision, be in awe of Jesus and be about making Jesus known today and this year to come. The band, you guys can come on up. I want to close with this. It's not on the screen, so just listen to the symbolism. Listen to what is going on in the days to come. This is what's going to happen. In chapter 5, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along. But in chapter 5, I'm going to start in verse 6. It says, And between the throne and the four living creatures, so we know what's going on in here. There is the throne room. We've got the four living creatures. And among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, which is the Holy Spirit, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, the God the Father. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads upon myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him, to Jesus, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures came and said, Amen. Amen. Man, I I get so pumped up reading that. This is what's coming. I don't want anybody to miss it. And the church said, Amen. Let's sing.